0: Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Hitch up your reindeer, uh, and go straight to the ghetto. Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. Fill every stocking you find. The kids are gonna love you so, uh, leave a toy. Leave a doll for Mary. Leave something for and don't forget about Gary. Santa Claus straight to the Alright, we are back. We mentioned before that we would like very much to go through at great length on this program uh, the incisive book by Jane Mayer titled dark money analysis of that is something we we need some help on I think we need to enlist uh, some some support from people we've worked with in the past maybe we can get some help from richard estes and ron glick who for so many years did the excellent program on kdvs titled speaking in tongues we also may reach out to get some help from our friends in southern california who uh, who are the kind of people that well they probe things like the imaginations of the deep state which contrary to the opinion of some is a real thing it's defined a lot of different ways but most of the ways you define it will allow you to point to a real entity but it's the end of the year we're not going to do that now we'll do that in january of 2019 let's take some time in the second half maybe all the second half to take a look at technology and the crazy things it's doing to our lives sadly this has become one of our favorite topics to harp on on this program But if a lot of the founders of the internet are a little bit freaked out about some of the turns uh, this technology has taken, well, we should pay attention. One thing that really kind of creeps me out about this economic behemoth. It's claimed by some, and I have no reason to doubt this, that the economic powerhouse that is Silicon Valley and the tech corporations, obviously they're not all in Silicon Valley, but I guess the big five in tech, the world's five largest corporations have more money than Saudi Arabia. From from what I can see, they seem to be developing a rather entitled attitude. Well, what's an entitled attitude? I think it must be something like what they experience at the Diablo Country Club in Danville. Bicyclists over in that part of the country have often used a shortcut that cuts through the country club. Well, for decades, in fact, bicyclists have been turning down oak-lined Calle Arroyo at the entrance of the Country Club to avoid Diablo Road, which is notorious for its narrow lanes, fast-moving traffic, and blind curves. But the Country Club didn't like these people rolling through on their bicycles, so they managed to get a court order to stop it. Of course, to be be fair, we do note there are two sides of the story. A lawsuit led to this court order to stop the bicyclists going through the Country Club, and the lead plaintiff in the suit claimed, on behalf of several other homeowners along the road, that a growing number of cyclists riding in loud packs and overtaking cars and endangering small children were a factor. He claimed that his parents who are both in their 90s and live on the same road if had cyclists clip their car or yell at them. Nevertheless, we, we think that bicyclists should be cut a lot of slack. People should get out of their cars when possible, cer- certainly not if you're 90 years old. But the rest of us should be bicycling more than we do, I think it's fair to say. So let's hope they can work that out. Modern technology, computers and GPS, etc. have allowed us to become users of ride services. But I was amused by the fact that uh, somebody did the math on uh, on what it costs to get around using Uber and Lyft, etc. and concluded that you may be better off owning a car. Of course, we do note the study we're about to cite did come <laughs> from AAA. But, their stats were that the average cost of owning a car is $7,300. Whereas if you want to get by on a ride-hailing cost in San Francisco, California, it's going to set you back 22000 a year. It's worse in Boston, by the way. If you want to get around in Boston, Massachusetts using Lyft and Uber, it's going to set you back over twenty-seven k. Now, we know a lot of smart people listen to this program. If those stats are shaky, some of you may have, have your suspicions, Run the numbers yourself and let us know, will you? Info at radioparallax.com. And uh, with all of the uh, stories about immigrants in the news, you know, the immigrants that pick our vegetables, wash our dishes, etc., I was struck by this piece from the East Bay News, the business section, which appears to be constructed, you know, day after day, mainly from the press releases of tech companies. But in this case, (laughs) there was an article on using robots in fields and how it starts to grow on farmers. They note that autonomous technology for seeding, feeding, and weeding is gaining popularity. Now, I have to admit, in the kind of jobs that, you know, Americans don't want to do, maybe there is a role for robots out in the fields, these are not choice jobs. On the other hand, people that come up from Latin America to do them are desperate and will work for low wages, which is kind of what keeps food prices down and keeps the whole economy going, and it, it's a complicated issue. But are we going to actually replace illegals in the fields with robots? I don't know. And of course, Ms. Merlin is worried about the possibility of Mexican robots coming in and working cheaper. We'll just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Speaking of that business section, there was another article that just attracted my eye that (laughs) has to come from the What a Concept file. Here's the headline. Internet-born retailers embrace physical stores. The sub-headline was, Locations Allow Customers to Test Merchandise. What a concept. I don't know if this is going to catch on. This requires people to get out of their house. And as our collaborator and comedian friend Donald Rose once pointed out in his comedy act some years back, it's kind of sad we're living in a country where people pick up the phone and say, I'm hungry, send me food. And also from the who ordered that file, we have this. Well, let me just quote from the piece in New Scientist, the October 13th issue. Under the headline, get a reassuring caress from your phone, the article asks, what if smartphones had a robotic limb? Many inventions start with a question that nobody else had ever thought to ask. Few of them end up being quite as creepy as mobile limb. Created by Mark Thyssen at the University of Paris in France and colleagues, Mobile Limb looks like a mechanical finger with knuckles that let it bend and beckon. The appendage plugs into a USB port on your smartphone or tablet and can be used as an additional way to interact with your device. Mobile Limb can also be covered with different sheaths. A skin-like cover, complete with fingernail tip, makes the finger's caresses appear more lifelike. A fur covering makes the appendage look like a tail. Tickle an animal avatar on the screen and the tail wags enthusiastically. And wait, there's more. The limb even allows your phone to crawl across the surface, pulling itself along like the thing, the disembodied hand in the Adams Family. The piece notes that the team's aim was to overcome some sensory limitations of mobile devices. In real life, we use touch to convey emotions, said the developer. A robot extension like Mobile Limb would be capable of transmitting a remote touch from someone. Tessier's favorite accessory limb is the skin-like sheath because it lets you interact with the phone in a natural way, he says. I just wish once in a while this wasn't radio show. I could show you a picture of what this thing looks like. It shows a guy's hand wrapped around the cell phone with a finger coming out of the bottom of the phone wrapping around the bottom of the palm. Now I have to agree with Mr. McMillan that if your phone could be found to crawl across the floor like a bad horror movie from the 1950s, that might be worth the price of, you know, purchase. But you have to think that the people in Silicon Valley who are smart people must be looking at some of these creations that they're producing and, and have to stop and go, well, uh, gee. An article from the New York Times last November notes that in Silicon Valley, parents aren't just banning their kids from looking at smartphones and tablets. They're demanding that the nannies employed there abstain from, quote, these glittering rectangles, unquote a growing number of Silicon Valley parents have become so obsessed with the effects of screen time on their kids' developing brains that they insist nannies sign contracts stipulating they will not use any screen for any purpose in front of the child. And of course, here's the rub. The same parents often want updates throughout the day on how their kids are doing, and so the parents spy on their help and their children. And share photos on social media of nannies caught with a phone in their hand. Reportedly, one mom followed her nanny around parks so much of the day that the caregiver finally said, You know, I don't think you need a nanny, and quit. In a related story a month later, cited in the Washington Post, we have this Facebook and Twitter are cracking down on an automated child care rating system that analyzes potential babysitters' social media feeds article by Drew Harwell. The California startup Predictum offered ratings of whether babysitters are at risk of drug abuse, bullying, or having, quote, a bad attitude, unquote. They use artificial intelligence to scour the candidates' online histories. But the systems, such as Predictums, present their own dangers by making automated and possibly life-altering decisions virtually unchecked. Hello? Facebook is conducting uh, an investigation, and Twitter says it's revoked the startup's access to tools that help it search users' accounts. Predictum's chief, Sal Parsa, said the service is a vital tool for any parent who wants to detect abusive babysitters who, quote, have mental illness or are just born evil, unquote. Yes, folks, it's true. Silicon Valley has finally taken steps to curtail babysitters who were born evil and isn't it about time somebody did and here's an item that i'm sorry to report uh more or less applies to yours truly Piece by vindu goel and sushani raj in the new york times noted you know these ominous seeming warnings that pop up on your computer screen you know your computer has been infected with a virus call our toll-free number immediately for help Most people ignore them, but, uh, well, some do call the fake tech support center, and 6%, 6% actually pay to fix a problem that never existed. They're usually calling India the illicit backbone of such frauds. Last week, law enforcement authorities working with Microsoft raided 16 such centers in New Delhi and arrested three dozen people. Last month, there were 10 similar raids. According to one study, some scammers can make upwards of $10 million in two months. The scams are run by well-organized groups that share data and even use outsourced calling centers. Now one thing Mr. Miller and I are thinking about doing is uh, calling (laughs) the calling center that left a message on my phone a couple months ago about how I needed to call the IRS right away. We're thinking about turning on the microphone and calling those people back and seeing how that goes. I'm pretty sure this would be illegal if I was calling someone in the United States, but apparently I'd be calling India. What do you think, Mr. Miller? Should we give this a go? Absolutely. All right. Stay tuned. You know, I got a friend in Silicon Valley who proudly admitted to me a couple of weeks ago that he just doesn't carry cash anymore. My reaction, and I'm very proud of this, was to not strangle him on the spot, because I would note that... Uh, By my best estimation, I'm losing a couple of minutes every day of my life. Many minutes every day of my life at a checkout stand. Or instead of handing the clerk cash, a credit or ATM card is stuck into a machine, numbers are punched in, and one waits. And of course, inherent in all of this is not just that it's wasting your time every day, but that data is being gathered about your purchases, which are obviously no longer anonymous, which makes me want to briefly segue into a piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer by Trudy Rubin some months back, the subject of which was how Chinese future weapon against the U.S. is its growing middle class. Trudy Rubin notes that if you trust Chinese government figures, their middle class already tops 400 million larger than the entire U.S. population, and if you cut that figure in half, it still outstrips the U.S. middle class of roughly 120 million individuals. All over China now, you see high-end indoor malls sporting luxury Western brands. Unlike their frugal parents and grandparents who lived through China's poverty and the Cultural Revolution and are avid savers, younger Chinese are eager to spend. Apparently, China is full of Amazon wannabes that along with using drones and bikes and whatever else can reach 90% of the country with same-day and next-day deliveries. And in China, almost nobody pays with cash or credit cards. Everyone from kids to old ladies pulls out their cell phone, flashes their Alipay mobile app from Alibaba, the e-commerce giant, and payments are deducted from their bank accounts. China, of course, is very big on keeping track of all of its citizens. And, of course, the fact that Silicon Valley companies are willing to help them do that is causing some revolutions closer to home here as people are saying we should not be doing this. We'll be talking about that in 2019. The Economist Year End Edition has an an article on this very topic titled Walking Barcodes, noting that the face is becoming machine-readable. The article by Hal Hodson notes that the latest advances in machine learning have created software that can determine the unique pattern of a person's face from imagery or video to a far higher degree of accuracy than older technology. This makes it possible to track large numbers of people automatically as we move through public spaces, something that would be impossibly expensive if done with human labor. Recognition software is turning faces into barcodes Cameras become scanners, automatically cataloging the people who walk past their lenses. article notes that police are not using the latest technologies widely yet. Their facial recognition systems are notoriously inaccurate. Big Brother Watch, a privacy group that observed the South Wales Police Department in Britain using facial recognition at public events over the past two years, noted that there was an inaccuracy rate of 91%, meaning that only nine out of every hundred people tagged by the system, or actually who the system supposed them to be. But that state of affairs is not going to last for long. The world's closed-circuit TV and police cameras are one upgrade cycle away from capturing higher-definition imagery, which will help facial recognition algorithms work better. The implications of this are worrying. Facial recognition has the potential to merge the tracking that happens in the digital and physical realms and it turns the face into an address that links behavior in the real world with online profiles and vice versa. The combination of web tracking and physical biometrics like facial recognition will mean that the spaces in which human beings are not tracked will shrink in 2019. Here in America, Major League Baseball is going to start allowing fans to validate their tickets and enter stadiums via a scan of their face rather than a paper stub. Man, I say don't take me out to the ball game. From the final paragraph in the piece, Humans need spaces where their movements are not tracked, where they are free to assemble with whomever they please. A world with ubiquitous facial recognition means one in which no coffee meeting, no midnight walk, no trip to the shop can occur without being assigned to a specific face and identity. Strong laws that protect individual rights are the best hope for limiting such tracking. The Pandora's box of facial recognition is open, but it's still possible to influence its impacts. Well, let's hope. Oh, and speaking of China, that security breach of 500 million people that were guests at Marriott Hotels apparently has now been traced back to China. But uh, before you express relief over how much better things are on this side of the Pacific Ocean, there's this from the Washington Post. Facebook executives in recent years appeared to discuss giving access to their valuable user data to some companies that bought advertising when it was struggling to launch its mobile ad businesses, according to internal emails quoted in a newly unredacted court filing. In an ongoing federal court case against Facebook, the plaintiffs claim that the social media giant doled out people's data secretly and selectively in exchange for advertising purchases or other concessions even as others were cut off, ruining their businesses. This case is being brought by 643, which claims its business was destroyed in 2015 by Facebook's actions. Using personal data as a bargaining chip and giving special privileges to some companies while shuttering out many others appears to contradict Facebook's repeated promises that it has never sold people's data. (coughs) Yeah. As well as its claims that it restricted data in order to protect privacy, and that its data partners were on an equal playing field' lies, lies. You're telling me that you'll be true lies, lies. That's all I ever get from you Cheers. And uh we have about six minutes left in the show. I don't think I'm gonna read too much from this <laughs> another piece, another puff piece of the East Bay Times titled is autopilot in cars a good thing? subheadline: after latest dui incident, some say it's enabling bad behavior by some drivers. others think it saves lives. this of course stems from the recent uh, case where a tesla driver passed out drunk was cruising at 70 miles an hour on his autopilot down highway 101 in redwood city. keep in mind the chp had to improvise a fix to this problem by pulling in front of the car and slowing hoping that it's autopilot would then break appropriately. Let's jump out of the tech world and do some miscellaneous items in our last five minutes. And in spite of it all, I had to laugh at this one. The AP is reporting that President Trump complains about the cost of the arms race. The president said in a tweet, naturally, that the U.S. has spent $716 billion this year, an amount he called crazy. He says he expects to discuss this issue with President Shinji which President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin. It was pointed out that his statements appear to confuse the total Defense Department's budget with America's investment in the nation's missile defense system and the strategic nuclear weapons usually associated with the arms race. Nevertheless, you have to appreciate the fact that the president does get that the cost of the arms race is crazy. Chris, before we get too excited about this, we should keep in mind that The president's comments were also a change of tone when it comes to the U.S. military budget. Until recently, the president has bragged about his increases in military spending, railing against previous administrations' neglect of America's armed forces. But wouldn't it be nice if he woke up, smelled the coffee, and said, hey, we're spending too much on the arms race. Wouldn't that be nice? Of course, then we'd have to contend with what he was thinking five minutes later, which might bear no correspondence to the five minutes earlier. How about this? Sexual misconduct has apparently denied former CEO of CBS Leslie Moonves his 120 million dollars severance pay. They just decided he behaved badly, didn't cooperate, and we're not going to give it to him. To which we say, good! Of course those of you who are listening to this program back in 2004 when we spoke with Bill Moyers will recall that Moyers specifically mentioned Leslie Moonves and how he had pretty much trashed the news department at CBS in a move strikingly like what takes place in the legendary film Network, he wanted the news department to pay for itself, and to do that, he had to basically fire lots of people. So for doing that, no penalty. For sexual indiscretion, he loses 120 million. By the way, if you're keeping score, Moonves was one of the highest-paid executives in the nation. He made about 70 million dollars a year, and was hailed by the industry for turning CBS around when he took over. Which we say, bah humbug. Oh, by the way, as this show draws to a close, we do want to say season's greetings to everyone. And how about this? A 59-year-old woman, Christina Englehart, has come forward saying she was Woody Allen's underage girlfriend. She said she started dating him when she was 16. Now, it should be kept in mind that this woman approached Allen at a New York restaurant in 1976, handed him a note that included her phone number and a message that said, since you've signed enough autographs, here's mine. Allen, 41 at the time, called her and invited her to his penthouse. He reportedly never asked her her age, but she said she told him she was in high school and living in rural New Jersey with her parents. She said they began a physical relationship before she turned 17, which would not have been legal in New York. She's quoted as saying, I was a pleaser, agreeable. Knowing he was a director, I didn't argue. I was coming from a place of devotion. Have to ask. Is this unfortunate relationship all Woody's fault, really? Not that we want to defend Woody Allen. Anyway, in keeping with our, what is, I guess, our Christmas show, we would like to sign off in a cheerful way. Now, we do not make recommendations this program about commercial products, so we'd be on pretty shaky ground if we pointed you in the direction of something you might want to consider as a Christmas present. That said, I want to close with this item from Mental Floss. And this certainly comes from the, and for those who have everything file, ask yourself, what would Bob do? That's what the Bob Ross fans who control his name and image do when they're asked to license rights. And that's how they decided to authorize the Bob Ross toaster. Nearly 24 years after his death, the kind-hearted landscape painter and television host is showing zero signs of fading into obscurity. Netflix streams his old public television painting shows. His soothing voice graces a meditation app, And YouTube has become a veritable rabbit hole of loving parodies. Now apparently what you do with this toaster is drop a piece of bread into it and it will char onto the surface the image of Bob Ross. Mental Floss said we're not sure how Ross would have felt about having his face charred onto folks' morning toast, but his team must think he'd have eaten it up. And if, in closing, on Christmas Day, somebody, dear listener, presents you with a Bob Ross toaster, we ask you to contact us and file a report at info at radioparallax.com. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I am your eggnog drinking host, Douglas Everett. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Radio Parallax, and we'll see you for our final show in 2018 next week. <laughs>